Norman Shaw, the mournful bloke, told them. The architect of this magnificent edifice on the foundations of which you are now actively engaged. Got a good articulacy, ain't he, Arthur? Clarence observed from the corner of his mouth. Brilliant, Clarence. I'm afraid I have some bad news, men, Shaw went on. The tapping of a hammer from near the river stopped. There, I said he looked mournful, Clarence whispered. Just as well. Arthur observed. I was beginning to think he always looked like that. I received confirmation this morning that this building is not to be used as an opera house after all. There were boos and cries of shame. Oh dear, muttered Arthur. There goes Rigoletto out the window. Blade and disgusting, Clarence nodded. But fear not, Shaw continued. Your jobs are not in jeopardy. This building and he turned away from them for a moment to compose himself. This building is to be handed over to the Metropolitan Police as their new headquarters. There was a stunned silence. Stone me, breathed Arthur. The unthinking lackeys of a bourgeois imperialist state. As I live and breathe, Clarence agreed. Well, that's all, chaps. Shaw fought back the tears. I just thought you ought to know. Another silence. Arthur broke it up in the time-honoured way. Never mind, sir. Three cheers for Mr Shaw, lads. Yip, yip. Hooray, the workforce chorused. Yip, yip. Hooray. Yip, yip. Hooray. Men, men. Shaw held up a carefully manicured architect's hand. I am more touched than I can say. You are white men all. There is that as consolation. Clarence took up his pick again. What's that, old son? We are white men. Buddled masses, yes. Downtrodden minions of the lumpen proletariat, but at least we ain't black. That's fair enough, Arthur observed. Here, did you know? Clarence's pick bounced off the outcrop again. Did you know that them there stones for the foundations have come from Dartmoor? Where some poor wronged individual what has had the misfortune to be born among the people of the abyss is, even as we speak, spending his daylight hours cracking rocks for Her Majesty the Queen? Well, there uh, you have it, Clarence. I do. You do. You do realise that your namesake, the Duke of Clarence and Avondale, will, when he comes of age, inherit the biggest and most corrupt empire the world has ever known, don't you? It had occurred to me, Arthur... Now, let's not be small-minded, as the politics of envy, that is. Besides, this is Gladstone's England, you know. Sadly, Clarence, I'm well aware whose England it is. However, the time is coming. Ah, yes, in the millennium of the people. Uh, when's the revolution planned for again? February the 6th next year. Can you make it? I have to consult my calendar. Oh, bleed now! Clarence froze in mid-swing. Thinking that some new point of the dialectic had occurred to his young friend, Arthur waited, his shovel loaded with the greasy grey of London's river. Then he saw what Clarence had seen and dropped the lot. The younger man's pick had hacked into what once was a woman. Now it was a torso, a headless, legless, armless thing lying in the London clay. The acidity of the ground had preserved it perfectly, and the breasts still had something of the pertness of life. "'Lends a whole new meaning to the body politic, don't it, Arthur?' Clarence whispered. "'It blame well does, son. "'Get that architect bloke over here, will you? "'Should be an hour to his rest in this.' "'There was not, on the face of it, a lot happening that February. 
Policemen all over the metropolis faced the rather daunting task of executing the act of the 49th Victoria, viz and to wit, that all dogs wandering in the region of the capital should be muzzled. That probably had something to do with the fact that a fox had been killed in Marylebone High Street. Mr. Terrace was wowing them at the Adelphi, and our brave boys in Burma were complaining, with some justification, that their bayonets were bending on contact with Burmese bandits rather than going straight through the little yellow bastards. There were red faces at Enfield where they made the things. Then the snow came. They crept out from between the black buildings, crowned with white, the half-starving people of the abyss. But there were no women in this crowd, no children, just ragged lines of ragged men, their faces blue and pinched above their knotted scarves, their eyes dark hollows under their beaver hats, their hobnails crunched on the unbroken snow, and their breath snaked out.